Hello, I'm Tim Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace, and with me today is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater. Welcome, Steve. Hello, Tim. Uh, welcome to another edition of Aerospace NOTAM, another edition of our regular series of, of podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and space news, and what we have upcoming in the next issue of Aerospace, which is now August 2023. Doesn't time fly? How did it get to be August already? It's incredible. So Christmas, uh, in, Christmas seems like five minutes ago. In the magazine, we cover everything from GA to space flight, from airliners to airport, from air law to EV tolls. Uh, but first, before we take a look at the news, uh, what have you been up to uh, this past month? Um, I think I found a few days to make it into the office this week, this month. It's been we've been here, there, and everywhere. Um, I have been to the Royal International Air Tattoo, um, which was great, um, although rather soggy. Uh, you've got to feel sorry for the guys. You? They have a stellar lineup of aircraft from around the world, you know, 250 plus aircraft, I think, this year. And the heavens opened. I mean, the, for the I've got friends who were down there for the arrivals in gorgeous blue skies and, and saw a lot of the practice displays. And then Friday morning dawned with a cloud deck on the ground, a blowing wind and, uh, and at times absolutely monsoon conditions. So um, it was a real shame. Um, but it was, it's still an interesting event um, from a from a news point of view that there were you know, various announcements that came out. It's interesting, I think, seeing how Riyadh has transformed itself in recent years into still the big enthusiast show, but also an element of trade show as well. And you know, the, the chalets are occupied now by all the big players in the industry, you know, everyone from Raytheon and Boeing to Rolls-Royce yes. and to Excel. And I think that's an interesting thing. I don't know if that I don't know if that's going to be because it isn't a isn't a farmer year. Whether that will continue next year as to people people sort of shift it to uh, a more kind of you've you've got the airspace there, haven't you, for for, for military jets to do their stuff yeah. uh, and for for things to 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 come and go. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. It, absolutely, and you, you look at the guest list as well. And oh, yeah, that was um, you know chief of the air staff was there. Head of the American Air Force, lots of, of high ranking people from around the world, obviously piggybacked off um, a conference, which I think you were at virtually a couple of days before, Tim. Yeah, so I was at the uh, Global Air and Space Chiefs uh, Conference uh, virtually uh, this time, and uh, that's held in London. Uh, two days of high-level air power uh, discussion. It was the first, I think, probably the first sort of like public uh, conference uh, with the new uh, chief of the air staff. Uh, uh, Chief Marshal Sir Rich Knighton. So he was there, gave a very good uh, intro. I thought I, I thought it was a really, um, really good sort of like, you know, sort of scene setting and, and a sort of like a personal introduction, um, you know, uh, just with uh, also using memes as well. Um, <laughs> there was also an interesting bit there on the sustainability angle. Obviously, everyone's uh, sustainability is a very hot topic at the moment. Uh, but the USA Air Force was that was there and they were talking about how, you know, for them, it's not it's not the, the touchy feely, hoggy, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, kind of green agenda that makes them feel good. There's a hard nosed combat persistence uh, kind of angle there is is, uh, you know, they're looking at the the the, uh, the the ranges in the Pacific and they're looking at it going, we need to save, save every drop of fuel to get to the fight. So um, what they were doing there, they were talking about things like, um, you know, little little strikes on the back of C-17s, or you can save 1% of fuel by going to a vertical um, 
windscreen wiper on a KC135. Uh, so those are little changes, you know, tiny little changes there, but they're, they're the sort of changes that the the, the USCF is, is incorporating. Basically, you know, we, we want we want more fuel for the warfighter at the other end of the battle. Well, I, I, that sort of tallies in with what we had in the magazine a couple of months ago about the, the small changes being made to commercial aircraft engines. Yeah, it's that, yeah. that half a percent here, half a percent there that makes a big difference. But again, that also that also segues nicely into RIAP because we had the, the signing of the Defence Aviation Net Zero Strategy, yes, um, yeah. which was um, signed by the great and the good of the aviation world from um, you know the, yeah, the, the major manufacturers, the major players, um, the MOD itself government and the Royal Aeronautical Society, our own Carissa Khan, signed um, our commitment to the to the uh, to the charter. Um, so um, it, was, uh, it was great to be to be part of that at, um, at Riyadh. It was um, the MP was uh, the Minister for Defence Procurement, who's James Cartledge, um, who uh, lent his signature to the document. So let's say lots of although no particularly hard news coming out of Riyadh this year, lots of, uh, of signings and um, collaborations to work together. The um, you know, uh, chief of the air staff was there, along with um, you know, they had the Australian Air Force and the American Air Force to talk about how we can work on Wedgetail as a, a tripartite organisation yeah. to try to uh, to bring through new developments for that project as well. So, yeah, it's interesting, um, interesting event reality this year. Uh, and also, um, I've been out. Uh, I mean, we, we, in terms of other news, I've been out to uh, Wharton uh, to see Beer Systems. Uh, so they had a bit of a bit of a pre pre React news there. Um, we're revealing they've got a new business unit called Falcon Works. Um, oh. So think Skunk Works, think Phantom Works. Uh, you're on the right track. Uh, okay. It's sort of like an innovation. Innovation cell, innovation sandbox for future combat air. They're looking at, you know, what comes after next. A really kind of crystal ball gazing. Um, included in that is obviously the Tempest uh, Tempest technology demonstration. So I, I got to see, we got to see the, the hardware there that has been there, like a, the, the the engineering simulator, some of the sort of like the uh, the, the hydraulics there for the for the uh, uh, um, you know actuators and things that are coming together. Uh, also, a uh, bit of very clever technology there in the the engine duct, and uh, that is big. It is going to be one big, um, you know, kind of demonstrator. It's got to, it's got going to have two EJ 200s on it, um, but it's, it's it's kind of interesting. The Falcon Works also includes uh, electric vehicles, so they're okay. looking at the electric drones. Also, they the tie it with uh, military applications for EVs. Um, you know, EV toll vehicle, um, mm -hmm. as well as uh, Phaser 35, uh, the HAPS, uh, mm -hmm. and other things like, you know, kind of AI, uh, collaborative combat aircraft and things like that. So um, th they they sort of said that the, the difficult, uh, you know, difference between kind of Falcon Works and, uh, you know, some of them, some, you know, say Skunk Works, is they're more open to collaborative uh, projects with other uh, companies, external partners, such okay. as, uh, you know, universities, SMEs and, and things like that. And really sort of like taking really sort of they, they're, you know, they don't have to be in charge of everything. They're, they're quite happy to, to somebody's got interesting tech or somebody's got in, come and come and come and play with us. Come and yeah. use our 
we use our capabilities, if you like, uh, and uh, you know, kind of find out what what, what works. So, so that was that was that was quite interesting. I mean, there's other stuff there on the tour as well. I had a look around some of the the simulation and training stuff. Uh, so the the new wide angle display for um, Typhoon that's in the works. Uh, okay. That, that, that's pretty impressive. And also the new radar that has been. Uh, um, EASA radar. It's a Mark II radar, uh, okay. very advanced because it, it it incorporates electronic warfare capabilities. So this is one for the for the RAF, and mm-hmm. uh, they've got it there, and they've got it about to start testing. They've actually installed in the side of a building uh, with a nose cone poking out of it, <laughs> and it's aimed in the direction of Manchester Airport. Ah. <laughs> so that's, that's how you ty- that's how you test a, like a an AS radar. So uh, good brilliant. to see some good to see some progress on that, but it is still it's still quite a little bit of a way off. End of the decade, you know. Okay. Uh, so end of the decade, five years on from that, uh, we're supposed to have sort of like the you know type, uh, tempest entering service. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, w- where else have you been? Well, while you were up in while you were up in Wharton, I was down in Bristol. Uh, the same days, I went down to uh, Filton to Airbus at Filton uh, to see their new Wing of the Future facility. Um, which is was was uh, again in terms of of technology and and, and advancing science and tech, incredible place. Um, so, wing of the future, looking at the next generation of Airbus airliner, and again those little increments as to how we can make an aircraft that percentage more efficient here and there. So, looking at wing design, but also folding wingtips, active wingtips. Um, lots of, of different, and they've actually got now the, f- the first of three prototype wings of the future down at Filton. It arrived about two days before the facility opened. Um, so we got a good tour around there, looked at, at, at those sort of projects that were going on, and uh, also some of the, the, the futuristic stuff in terms of, you know, wing warping. You know, yeah, we're almost going back now to um, to the well, I guess effectively we're right the way back to the Wright brothers when you know in those pre-aileron days where the entire wing would warp in the same way that a bird's wing twists for control, looking at doing things like that as well. And um, so we saw some of the, the mock-ups they're working on. I think it's third scale mock-ups now for the wing for this citation that they're going to be uh, moderating, moder- modifying as part of the Up Next programme. And that's, so, that's, been, that's been built in, in, in the UK, isn't it? The National Composite Centre. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so lot, lots of tie-ups with the National Composite Centre. Um, and it, again, as you said, lots of links with the same way that BA systems at Wharton are linking with universities and SMEs, similar sort of efforts with uh, Airbus down at Filton. So, uh, you know, we've said it before and we say it again, you know, an exciting time to be part of aerospace. And I think also what's, what's interesting is the, the idea of folding wingtips. Obviously, we saw that on the uh, the 777X at yeah. Paris, but now that seems to be, uh, I wouldn't say invading of a other ideas and designs but but the idea of movable wingtips is now seems to be kind of becoming more and more um widespread and people seem to be, be looking at well how do, how do you get a high aspect ratio wing uh yeah. you know you're gonna have to fold it at some point and and to keep in that that uh you know that standard uh airport box uh yeah. if, you, if you if you're thinking about airliners you know <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, it's and I asked the team, you know, there's lots of research going into you know, how we can fold these wingtips. And yeah, you know, is it possible to actually have a movable surface outboard of the fold? And, you know, obviously the Navy have done this for a long time. You look back at 
folding wing technology right back in the 1920s and 30s. So the question is, well, what's different? What, you know, why are we having to reinvent the wheel? And the answer is very simply that, you know, if you want to launch that aeroplane off a carrier and the wing doesn't quite lock down into place or, you know, there's a problem on it, you just push it to the back of the back of the flight deck and you get another one. When you're looking at commercial operations, you know, you need that redundancy. You need that, you know, um, yeah, uh, reliability to, to meet your targets for getting off on time. So it's um yeah, it's not just as simple as saying, well the well the Navy have got folding wings, we'll use the same technology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, the other thing I've done, you know, we have talked there about a lot of futuristic stuff. I went back in time as well because uh, last weekend as we record this, it was the Flying Legends Air Show up at Church Fenton. Yes. And you know, the the most for me, the most eagerly awaited return of an air show for a very long time with the We've not had a flying legend since 2019. Um, so the 2020 event was cancelled because of the pandemic. And um, then the fighter collection that organised the event were looking for a new home. They were moving from Duxford. Uh, there was talk of possibly moving to Sywell. That didn't work out. And they've moved to the former RAF Church Fenton. What's the new venue like then? It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I think the post I put on social media said it's like Duxford, but better. Um, are you, uh, it's, I think the phrase is if Carlsberg made air show venues, it would be like this. Um, yeah, there's no controlled airspace over the top at all. So you've got unlimited vertical um, capability. So things like the Bearcat and the P-38 Lightning, which have got you know, really good performance and the Sea Fury. Yeah. Um, were big, big, swooping, looping shows. So sort of thing you wouldn't see at Duxford where you've got Stansted airspace over the top. Um, but also, you know, there are no no fly zones. You know, at Duxford, you've got the M11 motorway. You've got lots of habitation around, which you, obviously you can't fly over. Whereas at Church Fenton, it's pretty much open ground. So um, you've got aircraft flying sort of left to right. We're doing a nice sort of topside pass in front of the crowd. But they then keep the turn going and go around the back of the crowd. So you felt you were almost in a in a bowl with the aircraft flying around you. Um, but no, absolutely wonderful. Again, weather was atrocious. I think on Saturday we had everything, including hail, thunder, lightning, torrential rain, a bit of sunshine, made for spectacular photographs. You know, big cloudscapes when the sun came out. But um, Sunday was a lot better, but still a very, very gusty wind. So things like the Gloucester Gladiator didn't fly, which was a great shame because the, the fighter collection gladiator is painted up in the markings of 72 squadron when it was based at church fenton flying gladiators in the 1938 period so um yeah that would have been a really nice tribute to to the base itself but no brilliant event too. um yeah and hopefully this is the first of many at church fenton because it, it, you know despite what a lot of the the naysayers were were saying about it's too far to travel the traffic will be chaos getting in Drove in and out with no problem at all. Um, and commentary was great. I mean, yeah, we're, yep. we're used to having an air show commentator. At Flying Legends, there were four. So you'd got, you know, the brilliant Trev Graham. Um, you got Pete Anderson from Australia. But then you'd also got Richard Grace. So yep. Richard bought uh, Warbird operating experience, talked about what it was like to fly the aeroplanes, what it was like to restore them and operate them. And then you've got James Holland. So well known from his We Have Ways podcast with Al Murray. Uh, bringing the historical element to it. So you've got Pete Anderson, who's a real expert in the Pacific conflict. You've got James Holland, who's uh, you know an expert in the European theatre. Just really, and honestly, I could have listened to the four of them all day. It was, they, the four of them need their own podcast. That's what I say. 
Fantastic. Well, that, that sounds uh, brilliant. Something to, to watch out for then for uh, 2024. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Um, so we better, we better talk about this month's magazine, haven't we? Well, what, what, <laughs> also, what's what's been happening in the news? Mm-hmm. So um, what's ca- caught my eye in the news this, this month? Well, we've had, uh, I mentioned it before, we've had the uh, Phaser 35 stratospheric flight. So this is a solar powered uh, UAV um from beer systems or a company called prismatic which was acquired by beer systems and on the i think i'm right saying the 25th of june um it made its first flight to the stratosphere uh, and back in new mexico uh, under the course sign avro 3352 which is a bit of a clue as to what was going on uh they only mm. stayed up there for 24 hours came straight back down um the really interesting thing with that is there's been a bit of a breakthrough in um, how you get a very, very light, very, very light, very flimsy, these very, very light, flimsy uh, glider-like vehicles, you know, electric powered up from the turbulent lower altitude to 65, 60, you know, 70,000 feet, uh, mm-hmm. where it's much more benign. And uh, they seem to have done it by using, uh, first off, they, they got the, the Met Office to go and um, help them and partner them. Again, it's like a, it refers back to the kind of Falcon Works thing of, of getting the best people in to help, but mm-hmm. also by using a, 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 a ground-based LIDAR uh, that kind of beams upwards and mm-hmm. looks for turbulence uh, every 150 metres. It's, it's checking the airspace. And that's basically like having a weather radar on the aircraft. Ah. So now they can spiral up there, get up to the top. They've got this precision of what the weather is doing, uh, where the the turbulence is, where the gusts are. And that is, uh, I I think that could be a a real breakthrough in terms of making making these HAPS flights, um, you know, commercially viable, military viable, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if you like. Uh, but getting the regular launch and recovery, you know, uh, and that you're not kind of coming back down and going, or going up and going, come back down. And you're kind of, you're almost kind of guessing and hoping, keeping your fingers crossed that the weather is going to be good, good enough. Uh, so really, really uh, exciting. So that's, breakthrough. So that's, a, that's a pseudo satellite effectively, isn't it? Yeah. So that's, so that's a pseudo satellite. So they're, they're talking about, I mean, there's this military, obviously military are interested in that. Uh, and uh, the civil uses for as well, you know, radio relay, communications, 5G. Uh, and the, the, the ultimate goal is to have something that will stay aloft for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's, uh, um, that. I mean, that that's the game changer, isn't it? So, you, uh, so what would you? Do they envisage this being a simple, you know, the MOD own one and a telecoms company, or no, yeah, you know, would this be an interchangeable type of thing? I think they're they're talking about. Uh, I think they're talking about kind of some kind of service model where it's almost like a, a, a haps for hire. You would you would they would they would fly it up, park it in in a in a kind of like a, an, a stratospheric car park they called it, and uh, <laughs> then somebody would go and go and go and and, and hire it and it to go off and do its uh you know enemy could you know it could fly almost anywhere in the world uh so you know this, this thing has got un, un, unlimited range really uh mm. and then you'd come back and you'd park it i mean the, the great thing with the the haps as well is unlike satellites uh you know once you put it up there you're not sort of uh it, it, it's not you 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 i'm not saying forget about it but you can you can bring it back down to to earth put new sensors on it, swaps new sensors in uh, and upgrade it and, and, and things like that. So um, 
so it's a, it's a lot more cost effective than than satellites you know you haven't got mm-hmm. obviously the cost of the launch as well uh so um you know the these sort of um haps vehicles are kind of a, a growing uh you know a, a growing niche and indeed we saw them earlier this year with um chinese spy balloons yes of course <laughs> yes. <laughs> which were <laughs> which were all intense you know using using you know high altitude persistent you know pseudo satellites you know so it's a, yes. it's a ch- cheap form of satellites um yeah what have you what have you uh what have you found for the news well on, on a similar vein to that something that jumped out to me was a, a swiss company called daedalus which obviously take their inspiration from daedalus uh, and they've created a, a sensor system for the ga pilot the light aircraft pilot that uses ai um so they call it pilot eye and it's been developed with avidyne and it's um basically it it's compatible with almost any um, sort of private four-seat fixed-wing aircraft, as well as helicopters and EVTOLs. And it uses AI with a camera, a forward-looking camera, um, to look for airspace ahead. So, uh, Sorry, uh, for air traffic ahead. So you've almost got here a TCAS system, which is using AI algorithms to look for, you know, the, the, yeah, anything that's in its way, look at the way, the direction that it's tracking, and alert the crew as to what it sees. So, you know, TCAS previously, you know, traffic collision avoidance system, TCAS has previously been something which has been the domain of commercial pilots in the military world. Well, this is something which could bring it into the realms of the private pilots. And, you know, so even, and I think, especially if you look at the eVTOL applications of this, if, you know, we get to the stage in the future, which some people are predicting that we're going to have eVTOLs buzzing around in and out of, of cities on a second by second basis, then, you know, having some sort of collision avoidance system is going to be essential. So I think this company's um, really struck on something here. Uh, so you've got your sort of machine learning algorithms. What what sensors is it taking that from, though? Is, is that, uh, I mean, would you, if you were, if you're flying your, your Cessna, would you have to have 360, uh, you know, GoPro cameras constantly transmitting to it, uh, looking out yeah. for anyone it, yeah, it uses the real-time video feed um, effectively. So you've got cameras which you'd either mount on the nose of a of a fixed-wing aeroplane, or you'd mount on the belly of a helicopter or an eVTOL. Um, look, so obviously with a you know an eVTOL, you've got that 360-degree look rather than aeroplane fixed-wing aeroplane, which is flying forwards. Um, so it's taking the feed from those onboard cameras and using machine learning algorithms to uh, it's, it's a sort of 12 they say they're 12 million pixel cameras um so you it would take the data from that look find something in in, in one of those pixels identify okay that's an aeroplane that's a helicopter that's a bird that's no concern uh which way is it traveling is it coming towards me is it going away and it would use its machine learning to work out what it constituted a risk to that particular aircraft so really clever tech Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Well, the other, the other thing that's uh, popped up in the the news uh, the, uh, this month, over the past month, is um, so the latest, obviously, sustainability. We've already said how how important that is uh, yep. for the the military. Uh, latest uh, one of the latest ideas from from Japan Airlines is um, hire your clothes, clothes for <laughs> hire. So uh, the idea here being is uh, you know obviously people pack pack for going on holiday they put a lot of uh they 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 take the baggage baggage hole gets full um and then uh, you know it adds to uh weight drag etc etc um and uh, japan airlines is is suggesting well um 
why not why not hire your why not hire your clothes at the at the, the destination so they've they've launched an anywhere anywhere clothes sharing trial <laughs> uh, so twenty seven dollars uh, gets you two weeks you can rent eight different outfits really Tell. That seems remarkably cheap and uh, for every ten kilogram clothes left at home equivalent to seven point seven seven point five kilograms in CO two savings uh, so what, what do you think is is that is that a real thing or do you think that's a, that's a bit of a uh, a publicity stunt um in a way, I hope it's a bit of a publicity stunt because I'm not a huge fan of Japanese fashion, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think it's going to very much depend on what you can rent, isn't it? Um, you know, and, and yeah, I'm not entirely convinced on that one. I get, I get the numbers. Yeah, the numbers work in terms of, we, we said earlier, every little helps. Every, and, you know, a percent point here and a percent point there of, of efficiency really helps. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure I really want to be renting clothes. I mean, where are you going to get an aeroplane T-shirt from anyway? You know, everywhere I travel, I've got an aeroplane T-shirt on. So uh, I'm sure that won't be in the um, the, the fashion catalogue that uh, that they provide. I've got visions of, of identikit tourists uh, wandering around <laughs> Tokyo with, with with the eight outfits and everyone, everyone <laughs> kind of looking at each other. And uh, yes, well, there you'd we go. To, what else? To de- if you've only got eight to choose from, you'd have to deconflict as well. Otherwise, it could be yes. terribly embarrassing. Everybody turns up in the same outfit, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else? What else have we seen on, on, on your end? Uh, I'm going to go aerobatics next. Uh, Walter Extra. Everyone knows Extra Aircraft. Um, yeah, Walter Extra, the German designer, has announced the uh, the latest addition to the uh, Extra range of, of uh, competition aerobatic machines, which is the 330SX. It flew on June the 6th, looking to start deliveries um, in the middle of next year. Yeah, I, mean, I remember the the, yeah, the first Extra that I saw was the Extra 230. I can even remember the event. I've got one of those brains that can remember things like that. Model X, Cosford Air Show, 1988, Brian Lacomba flying the Jaguar-sponsored Extra 230. Incredible aeroplane. And now here we are 30-odd years down the line with something which yeah, makes the the Extra 230 look like, um, like a Sopwith Camel, really, in terms of performance. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the, the company have constantly evolved, and, and the 330SX, it's a single-seater. Uh, interesting, a steel fuselage um, right. with carbon fibre around it and carbon fibre wing. Um, and if you see the photographs of this thing, it's got absolutely enormous ailerons, not just full span ailerons like yeah, the majority of aerobatic aeroplanes have got now. But they're also probably about a third of the cord of the wing and in the wing tip, they're even bigger. Um, so, I mean, you know, I've been lucky enough to fly in quite a couple of extras over the years. And I think the, you know, the, the 330, the standard 330 has got a roll rate of something like 400 degrees a second be interesting to see what this thing rolls out with those enormous ailerons and a big engine on um, and and to get even more roll rate they've actually widened the cockpit and that's not just to allow bigger pilots shall we say but actually to give you more com- control stick clearance right so yeah, you can yeah. really wang that that control column across uh, and get even more deflection on the ailerons so uh, i'm a- i'm really <laughs> looking forward to seeing one of these fly that's a technical term, everybody. That wanking the control stick across. That's you got uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. That that extra have won the world championship now about eight times. Uh, you know, world aerobatic championships. 
and I think yeah, from what I've seen the data on this, this this is another generation leap forward in terms of aerobatic. And not yeah, big ailerons don't just enable you to roll fast; they also enable you to be very very precise. So in a competition world, yeah, you know, if you're looking at doing 16 point hesitation roll, yeah, you know, having that aileron deflection enables you to start and also stop the roll very precisely. So that's that's going to be a really interesting aeroplane. Fantastic, so, right? Anything else that's caught your eye, Tim? Uh, well, we have got the the first uh, Virgin Galactic uh, commercial flight. So um, that obviously it's been a long time uh, coming, but on 29th of June, uh, Virgin Galactic uh, did their first commercial suborbital space flight. Uh, yeah. So that was from uh, uh, New Mexico, Spaceport America. Uh, coincidentally, the same same launch thing as the uh, a site as the phase of 35. Uh, so it's all happening in New Mexico at the moment. Um, and that was a science mission for the Italian Air Force and the Italian, uh, I think it's the National Research Council. So they were doing, a, they'd booked a kind of a suborbital, uh, you know, sort of, a, sort of um, reduced uh, gravity, uh, you know, sort of a science, science flight, uh, and they flew it there. Um, so really i mean for the italian air force as well um 100 years of the italian air force this yeah. year and they've got uh you know somebody there with uh sort of astronaut wings going up in the uh <laughs> going up Amazing. in the uh uh you know in a suborbital flight so uh yeah uh so they um, are what, what's happening yeah, we, now we, we, we watched the feed didn't we and it you know it you know watching that live feed as well it was just it was really exciting to see i mean you know over, over lockdown you know we've seen a number of, of of space trips um and the, the 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 technology now in terms of live streaming those events just makes it you know i'm sure i will never be able to afford a trip on a virgin trip into into orbit but for you feel like you're there as part of the the stream that they're putting out so it's really making space accessible for everybody yes and um i mean you know um they're now going to be going into, uh, you know, doing more flights. Obviously, sort of ramping up uh, the, uh, you know, the next one. I think is uh, they're already announced the people on board, but they, you know, some of them are going to be uh, sort of space tourists, uh, mm -hmm. as, as as you might call them. Uh, not inquire, not sure that is the right um, uh, kind of term, space mm. tourism or whether you know adventure tourism uh, yeah. or non. Uh, you know, non non scientific astronauts, uh, or uh, you know, some mm. some, some of, a, of a term, you know, really considering these are these are experimental flights, aren't they? Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, at least they are. They're, they're, you know, it's taken them a like I say, taken them a while, but they are actually kind of uh, doing the commercial flights and, and now. So uh, yeah, uh, talking mm. of high speed flight, what else is happening? Uh, I have to say. We, our news pages this month are chock full of great news stories and great images, but the one that really jumps off the page at me is the Quest. Yeah, NASA's X-59, uh, developed by Lockheed Martin in their Skunk Works, they've rolled out now onto the uh, onto the ramp the X-59 Quest, uh, which neatly abbreviates for Quiet Supersonic Transport, and this is the the NASA aircraft which is looking at how we can turn the sonic boom into what they refer to as the sonic thump. So, um, you, know, we, you know, I'm sure we're all aware that back in the early days of Concorde and supersonic transport, there was lots of uh, issues with sonic booms over land. 
well, NASA and Lockheed Martin have got the X-59 to, to look at how we can minimise the sonic boom. But just looking at this aircraft, I mean, it, it looks like something out of the Avengers. You know, it's it's yeah, just, yeah. it's so science fiction, isn't it? It's just such an, um, that, you know, this head-on view, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's Buck Rogers, you know, this, you know, it's just space age. It's an incredible thing. And it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing from the, the front view uh, as well, uh, you know, as well as its sort of alien type appearance is, uh, yeah, the synthetic uh, vision system. You know, there's, there's yeah. no forward view through that. So you're, 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 you're basically going to be looking, the parts going to be basically looking at it through a, uh, you know, a video screen and, and, and landing it that way. Yeah. So, uh, so those that's the touch of the news. What what about features? What what's caught your eye in the uh, actual features in the magazine this month? Okay. Some interesting stuff, haven't we? We've got some. It's going to be a, another fantastically uh, varied, diverse, and interesting uh, magazine uh, coming up mm-hmm. for August. Uh, we've got a really uh, fascinating article on uh, emotional intelligence on the flight deck. So. Uh, this is from a pilot and aviation safety, safety researcher, Kimberly Perkins, uh, talking about kind of CRM. Um, there's also a, a kind of a discussion there of, of kind of uh, gender differences on the flight deck, maybe why, why that's putting off, uh, you know, uh, women pilots um, and, and the you know, kind of culture. But how do we actually measure culture on the flight deck? Uh, and some of this is sort of it's it's very difficult to. To, to pin down or to to measure or to c- kind of quantify uh, that on mm. on the kind of uh, you know I mean sometimes it's it's even trying to people you know even sort of like, you know people trying to be helpful and getting it wrong and, and creating a kind of a uh, not not a toxic atmosphere but an unwelcoming atmosphere shall we say uh, yeah. where where people don't want to don't want to speak up and obviously if you don't want to speak up on the flight deck. Uh, that has implications for for flight safety and for you know efficient use of the the, the aircraft and and yeah. what have you. So really really uh, interesting article. I think people you know uh, will find it uh, useful and it's a good point for de- debate. Yeah, no, um, I, I I found it really interesting going through. And as you say, there are instances in there where particular quotes have been given um, that that that, that crew have said, and you think well, that that person's just trying to be helpful. But when you actually read deeper into it, no, it's actually, yeah, they've done more harm than good in what they've said. And I, I won't spoil it. I'll let the readers read it themselves. But there's some really interesting in, insights there. For, and especially from Kimberly, from somebody who's actually on the flight deck and has seen this firsthand. Exactly. Uh, and talking about mm-hmm. flight decks as well, we've got a uh, an update here on uh, a big a shift in navigation, uh, aerial mm-hmm. navigation. Uh, yeah. Uh, Steve, tell us about that. Yeah, an article by the um, the great David Learmounts on uh, Mag to True. Um, so, um, you know, Magnetic North, we've used Magnetic North for generations as as pilots and aircrew. Uh, magnetic North always shifts. You know, you know, you know, if you sometimes see runway numbers being repainted because the, uh, the Magnetic North has changed by a degree here or a degree there. Um, but it's for reasons unknown. It's the in the last three decades, that shift has really accelerated. Um, so we're at the stage now that you know, do we need magnetic north? We've you know we've we've got sat nav, we've got GPS, we've got inertial navigation, we've got all of these systems. That true north is actually the uh, the heading that we should all be using. So there's a move now towards moving um, from magnetic north to true north. This is something which is coming in in the next couple of years. Um, but 
amazingly, still a lot of people don't realise that this is happening. And um, it's a lot of people that think it's it's an issue which is solely, you know, those flying in the polar regions, those flying in Canada, places like that. But it's going to affect everybody. Um, yeah. So a really interesting piece by David and looking at the where's and why's we're doing this and the fact that, you know, it's perhaps the operators of older aircraft that really need to uh, to be aware of, you know, there are cargo airlines flying around Africa with maybe 727s or things like yes, that yeah. that haven't got the modern equipment or access to the to the data. It's a, it's it's the it's the first it's the first sort of second generation kind of airliners, isn't it? Rather than uh, you know, if you're if you're flying around in in Alaska in in a uh, maybe a, a, a 1950s Beaver, you've you've probably already got a, a like a uh, uh, you know, an iPad and yep. your a GPS, and you're probably already kind of well aware of that. Uh, but there's there's obviously people there who are, yeah, uh, put it put it on low on their list of priorities. But it is coming. Uh, yeah. What else we what else we got coming in in the uh, uh, this issue? Um, well, we've also got um, again we're talking about little wins, um, which seems to be a theme this month, doesn't it? Um, but we have an article on Tamarack. Uh, Tamarack Aerospace Group, um, which has been written by uh, Michael Mangano from Australia. And Tamarack are, again, using efficiency systems um, to um, reduce fuel burn, improve efficiency. And they're using active winglets. So, again, going back to what we were talking about with Airbus. Um, So um, they've got their smart wing, um, which is on um, business jets like Citations. And I think they're on the Q400 they're looking to do. Um, so essentially, it's got three main elements um, that which you, you can add on as um, as a, an STC, a supplementary type certificate onto the aircraft. So you've got an optimized winglet, a wing extension and what they call the Tamarack active camber surface. Um, so um, this is what sort of separates it from a traditional winglet. So a lot more advanced in terms of aerodynamics. And sort of, again, as we I've said before on this podcast today, saving a half percent here and a point something of a percent there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and again, um, you know, just proving that, you know, this is something that the business aviation world can do. You know, we were aware recently that you know, the stigma that business aviation has had. There's been another instance in the last month of an aeroplane. Um, I think it was a citation being spray painted um, by climate activists. Um, so, you know, it, business aviation, BizAv is clearly a target. And but it's a, a sector which the tools are there that we can be making differences and, and using yeah i think i think the interesting thing there is obviously it's uh, it's there it's available for bizjets but uh they have signed uh, an agreement with i think it's a, an italian regional airline uh yeah. who is going to is going to trial it on their q400s and uh they're talking about a demo uh a, a demo tour there so it is kind of going up the it's kind of going up the food chain, as it were, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, and it's 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 movable wingtips uh, uh, again. It, they're all the rage. They are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll all, um, yeah, it's uh, it's very much on vogue at the moment. Uh, and 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 you had an interesting chat this month as well, didn't you, with the new chief of the air staff? Yeah, so we've got a bit of exclusive on the on the Insight website and in the magazine. Uh, we've got a Q&A with uh, new chief of the air staff, Sir Richard Knighton. So he is the first ever non-air crew to command the world's oldest independent air force at the RAF. Uh, so he, he's broken a bit of a, a glass ceiling there uh, mm-hmm. in a way. 
you know, previously you had to be uh, you had to be a aircrew, uh, ideally fast jet. Uh, uh, he is an engineer. He's coming out from an engineer's viewpoint. Uh, very very uh, smart chap. Uh, got some good answers there. So uh, and some really in interesting stuff about how he's. Uh, uh, you know, rebuilding, uh, rebuilding kind of confidence, trust in, in the Air Force, uh, his priorities, operational focus, people, infrastructure. Infrastructure, I think, has been one of these things that perhaps has been uh, neglected. Um, you know, you think of, of, of some of the kind of the horror stories about kind of barracks and things in the armed forces that come through and that, that, that so that's that's very encouraging to see that his, his, his focus there is, is people, infrastructure, Get, getting getting the basics sorted out and there's also also a nice little tidbit there about uh they're talking about doing an a, autonomous collaborative platform strategy with the royal navy so um if you would be following the uh, kind of uh uk loyal wingman uh news you recall last year the the mosquito project uh, for a loyal wingman, uh, UCAV was was canned. The RF said they're going to go go away and think about it again. Um, and now it seems there's going to be like a, some kind of joint strategy uh, unveiled with the with the Royal Navy. But what, what what's interesting as well is he's talking about uh, um, they are moving down the ooh, almost almost moving down the the. The idea of these platforms, and this is, this is something I've heard elsewhere, mm -hmm. uh, the tier two attributable platforms. Uh, so, so basically making them more and more, um, you know, throwaway. Uh, I think you 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 picked that up from from an, an MBDA briefing in Paris, didn't you? I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're looking at collaborative aircraft, and um, yeah, these are generally aircraft. Yeah that will come back you launch them uh, they fly alongside you they're there for what you need them to do the loyal wingman concept but mbda said well do we actually need to bring these back if we actually can create a cheap enough asset it could almost be disposable so you know you would launch it from a ship or a lander even from the aircraft itself when was needed and it would have a multitude of uses it could be used for for jamming for aw or for even have a warhead on and by having sufficient of these low cost loyal wingmen if you like you've got the the combat mass that you need you know if you're going through your potential enemy won't know which of those ones to shoot down with the limited resources they've got you know and especially because these unlike a lot of you know a standard missile they don't just go in a straight line so this thing you could fire you know it could go it could then come back in the opposite direction yeah, the enemy wouldn't know what it was doing and which one of them it would need to shoot down, which one's the EW one, which one's actually got the warhead, which one's going to hurt me, which one's not. So, yeah, and there was a lot of interesting stuff came out of MBDA at Paris, but also back in the UK, I mean, we've got a feature in this issue from uh, from Richard Gardner, um, who went down to Stevenage to MBDA's UK HQ to see their digital battle space yes. facility. Um, so uh, Richard talks in, in his article about the, the various weapons and updates on, on missile programs. But the thing that really jumped out to me was this digital battle, battle space facility, which is effectively it can produce a digital twin. So it's a battle laboratory effectively for simulating both land and maritime and air components. Um, so you, you've got the ability to, to also train, but also to explore with new weapon technology in a, sort of a simulated battle environment so 
uh, again, an, yeah, uh, perhaps a good example of the, the variety of stuff that we have in aerospace. We've got everything from active winglets on um, on citation business jets and human factors issues right the way through to you know, digital battle spaces for, for missile technology. Definitely, yeah. And I think also the, the the interesting thing with the MBDA thing is that they're, they're trying to use digital to to uh, to sort of speed up the the integration cycle, the fielding cycle, uh, you know, spiraling technology in there and get it in, get it into the into the into the hands of the war fighter quicker. I mean, yeah. you know, we we've, we've got a picture there of a, a storm shadow on a SU twenty four fencer, Ukrainian S twenty four fencer, which uh, you know was was probably bolted on in record time. Um, <laughs> And uh, you know shows shows how fast you can do it if you really 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 need to it uh, yes. to, to do to get a weapon there. Uh, and I think the digital the digital uh, thing you know one is it, it's about speeding that 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 integration process up so it's not taking years and years and years. But two is like we've just talked about the uh, uh, you know the loyal wingman and the the uh, the UCAVs. Uh, where is the force mix? Where is the balance? Uh, yeah. How do you how do you test all this stuff and you you find out at the moment uh, we're in seem to be in limbo and the answer seems to be nobody knows. Uh, but yeah. uh, all these all these battle labs, all these digital testing, uh, it's going to come out and, and I think it's going to sort of uh, eventually coalesce into some sort of uh, you know kind of a concept of our operations as to all right what does the what does the RAF look like in 2050. Uh, or what does the USAF look like in 2050? Um, how many how many how many UAV squadrons will it have? Um, yeah. So yeah, so that's about the 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 uh, the August one. Obviously, we've got a eight pages of um, uh, uh, Paris Report news as well in in the magazine. We've also got all the usual uh, diary, uh, book reviews, and uh, membership news in the rear of the magazine. Uh, what have we got coming up to uh, look out for in uh, upcoming? Um, Steve. Um, well, we um, we as we record this, we go to print um, in about an hour's time. We're just waiting for the final pages to be signed off on the magazine, and then I'm hot foot to uh, to Heathrow because I'm flying out to Chicago tomorrow morning to go to Oshkosh. So that's my, the next thing that's on my schedule. Um, and then also in house, we've got a couple of events coming up at um, Royal Aeronautical Society. We've got our president's conference. Yep. Uh, which I'm really looking forward to. I know Carissa and Kigley have put a huge amount of effort into this two-day Future of Flight conference. Um, and I mean, the, the the speaker list. I know we were very excited earlier this year at the the FCAS, the Future Combat Air and Space Conference that we did, which was you know a complete sellout. And uh, you know, with um, speakers from around the world, I, I, I've got a feeling that the Future of Flight is going to be just as good, if not better. Yeah, we've I mean, got uh, speakers flying in from around the world again and talking about every aspect of future flight from, um, you know, the logistics of EV tolls through to propulsion systems and, and um, airspace management. You name it. It's really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of the speakers there, I mean, we've got people from Cranfield. We've got people from uh, Vertical Aerospace. They've just flown their, their, their VX4 untethered un- yep. uh, remotely. Uh, so they're Horizon Aircraft, uh, ALC Aerosystems, Volocopter, Eva Mobility, uh, Zero Avia, um, Supernaural, uh, NASA, mm-hmm. Electro Aero, Nats, Skyports, um, Hybrid Air Vehicles, uh, Airbus, Boeing, uh, you name it. Uh, so it's going to be a real sort of tour de force. Lilium, Volt Aero, um, looking at the whole 
whole kind of uh, you know kind of swathe of things from eVTOLs to uh, regional air mobility to uh, to SAF. Uh, hybrid electric and, and uh, all, all kinds of good stuff, you know, lighter than air. So I think yeah. that's going to be. I mean, it, it's, yeah. bit, uh, it's 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 probably easier to list the people uh, uh, from advanced area mobility who <laughs> won't be there than who are uh, who, uh, exactly who are, are there. Um, and that's yeah. tw- that's twentieth to the twenty second of September. So um, yeah, not long to go now to get tickets for that. And I know that tickets are going really quickly. So that that is going to be a really that, yeah. that's the event to be at. I think it's. Um, I, I, uh, and it's so on topic at the moment in terms of you know that we, we've spoken on previous podcasts about urban air mobility and advanced air mobility and how it's it's gone from seeing, being science fiction to almost science fact well here's the opportunity to come and, and hear from the people themselves that are uh, that are developing this technology and and uh, have them answer the questions that you've got well the, the other thing also i think is important for that is so there's a two-day academic or, or you know technical uh industry uh you know kind of uh, set of conferences but the third day it's actually a free day conference 22nd mm-hmm. is a cool aero- aeronautics outreach day Brilliant. so um the cool aeronautics in case anyone uh, anyone doesn't know that's that's the society's kind of outreach to uh school kids uh, get them excited about aerospace get them interested in aerospace we go out to, to lots of schools uh, organizations uh, and put on that sort of Put on on sort of uh, uh, you know kind of events there, uh, so to have a have a cool aeronautics outreach day, following on or actually yeah. part of the future of flight where, you know you've got all the all, all these companies there who are doing really cool things with electric uh, electric vehicles, hybrid electric airships. Um, for the kids to for kids to get inspired by that's a really good idea. I think I think, I think com- absolutely. Come let's have a. You know, th- this is this is this is this is two days of our of our academic one. So let's let's stick a third day on the on the end for for uh, for young people. I think that's so important. And you know, I was at uh, at the air to two um, with uh, with Raytheon actually. I interviewed um, Jeff Lewis, who's the UK CEO of Raytheon or RTX now, as the group is obviously part of Collins and Pratt Whitney are all part of the same group. And he made the point that you know he started as an apprentice, you know, and then he ended up going through going to Harvard and, and how he's UK CEO of Raytheon, but they have an apprentice on the Raytheon scheme at the moment, uh, an 18 year old who came to one of their outreach projects when she was nine years old. Huh. So it's, um, you know, that, that, that spark is lit you know, from, from that, that outreach. And, you know, I know there are similar stories from people who've come to our uh, call aeronautics programs that have, have had that uh, inspiration to follow the career into aerospace and as we've said many times that we we need so many people in aerospace engineering and research over the next decade that uh, you know if you have a young person who is vaguely interested in science computing technology stem type subjects yeah this is a great event to come to yeah Brilliant. Okay, uh, we've also got a young professionals conference happening on 8th of September so uh, that's for the slightly older uh, crowd of uh, you know people who just got come into uh, uh, sort of like you know graduates apprentices uh, so uh, that's a for September um, and uh, DSCI is happening as well so that's the big defence uh, uh, exhibition in uh, London Docklands uh, Excel Centre so uh, we'll be there looking at uh, all the uh, uh, defence and news so we're coming up to the end of the uh, coming up to the end of the, the our ta- allotted time now. Um, 
what have been watching, reading, playing? Uh, have you been uh, uh, any of those uh, aviation yeah. related or non-aviation related? Yeah, I've actually found time to write to read a book this month, Tim. I'm not sure how I managed to do that, but um, I'm. I listen to a podcast um, called Spycast, uh, which is the official podcast of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. And uh, they had an, um, a guest on a couple of months ago called Claire Mully, M-U-L-L-E-Y. And um, her book is called The Spy Who Loved. And I was so inspired by the, the podcast. I, I ordered the book and I, I've read it cover to cover in a matter of, of days. And it's the story of Christine Granville. Um, who was one of the um, yeah, Britain's best female spies during World War Two? In, you know, incredible stories. You know, she she went from skiing into occupied Poland and served in Egypt and the Middle East and parachuted into occupied France. You know, it's the sort of thing that if you didn't know it was a true story, would make a great thriller, to be honest. Um, but um, tragically, died very young. Um, and was found in 1952 in a hotel room in Kensington, having been murdered by her lover. So it's it, you know it's got the the whole makings of a of a Hollywood drama, yeah. but it's a completely true story. So the book's called The Spy Who Loved: uh, The Secrets and Lies of One of Britain's Bravest Wartime Heroines. Uh, it's by uh, Claire Mully. Um, absolutely brilliant book. Can't recommend it highly enough. Fantastic. And what so, about you? Have you been watching? Have you been playing? Have you been reading? Uh, I, I, I've managed to catch up with a little bit of reading. So I'm started. I haven't, haven't got uh, all that far in it, but uh, a cracking book there from uh, Hazard Spectrum uh, from a commander, Nathan Gray, who was uh, the RAF, sorry, the, the RAF, oh gosh, uh, the, the Royal Navy's uh, chief <laughs> test pilot um, <laughs> um, until uh, 2019. Um, really, really interesting story. Uh, starts on, 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 uh, the start of the book it really is is an eye opener. Uh, he was involved in a a near death experience uh, in a in a two seat Harrier uh, in uh, in around 20, uh, uh, 2002. and uh, it just gets better from there. Really, really interesting story. Uh, and one of the interesting, I think, one of the most you know interesting things for me is that he comes from down the road from where I, I, I kind of uh, hail from in, from Stoke-on-Trent and right. uh, there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a echoes of uh, uh, Winkle's um, uh, book in there obviously FAA uh, you know test pilots what have you uh, Harriers uh, he starts off with so there's a, bit, a little bit of overlap there but um, particularly mm. in the class uh, the, the the kind of class uh, kind of um, uh, yeah in, in in him applying to the RAF and uh, you know the, the the kind of evaluation days where he goes and he feels a little bit uh, a little bit out of place uh, with the kind of upper class officers you know that that, that are there and, and and you know he's 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 a guy from Stoke you know uh, he's a, he's a lad from Stoke and you know he he said he went to the he went to the, uh, you know, a Royal Navy uh, recruiting uh, um, uh, uh, interview, and he put down on his, uh, he put down his application form. Um, they'd asked him, uh, Mr. Gray, it appears you've put down on your reading material uh, a magazine called Loaded, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, apparently, one of the officers there was was smiling there and, and chuckling to himself in the interview, and he said, I, I felt I was at home. 
this, this was my people. So really interesting uh, stuff. I, I'm, I'm dying to see where it goes. I think the next uh, next chapter I'm on is, is him in Afghanistan, obviously flying Harriers in Afghanistan. Uh, and um, like I say, near death experience and also sort of survivor's guilt from that. Uh, well, on, a, on a similar subject to that, on, on a fleet air arm subject, um, I was listening to the latest episode of the extended podcast on my drive home from Flying Legends last weekend, um, which has got uh, Peter Johnson's um, podcast extended. Uh, and he's got the interview with Simon Kershaw about uh, the book he's written about his father, who was a buccaneer pilot. Um, I'm not sure whether you've listened to that one yet, Tim, but um, I think there might have been a little bit of dust in my eye at times. It was... Um, a, a very moving podcast because what uh, Simon's done is he lost his father when he was about five or six years old and in his now in his 40s he's gone through the letters that his father wrote to his mother during his entire fleet air arm career flying buccaneers um so right from his basic training through to you know the deployments where he was out on carriers and pieced together the history of his father, but from the viewpoint of a son who never really got to know him. Um, and it's just uh, it's, it, it's um, probably one of the most moving podcasts I've heard for a very long time. So, uh, again, that that's another one that uh, that's uh, highly recommended by me. But um, just make sure you're in a position where you can perhaps mop your eye from time to time. Right. Will do. Yeah, I'll give that a listen. Right. Well, that's all we've got time for for, for uh, this month anyway. So, uh, yeah, look out for your August edition of Aerospace. Uh, where can people get up to date with the Arius and the MAG? Well, we're there on www.aerosociety.com. I'm still tweeting at Arius Tim R. Steve, where are you? I am at R-A-E-S Steve B. And I'm also on Facebook as Stephen with a P-H Bridgewater. And during my trip to Oshkosh, I'll be posting uh, daily photo updates on there, which even if we're not friends on Facebook, you'll still be able to see because they'll be in public folders. So if you're interested in, in following what's going on at, at AirVenture um, during the, um, the last week of July into August, then um, you will be able to see the photographs on there. And obviously afterwards, when I get back, those pictures will still be available. Brilliant. All right. Well, that's all for now. Uh, so it's a... Uh... Goodbye from me and, uh, yeah, goodbye from you then, Steve. Goodbye, Tim. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, See you next month. See you next month. Okay, bye. Bye.